Uh, hey, my name is Jeremy. I'm the Next Generation Pastor here. Um, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning from our I Am series. Have you guys really enjoyed this series? It's been good stuff, just hearing uh, different I Am statements from Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life out of John 14. So if you want to, you can pop open your Bible, get there, and give you a few moments before we go diving into it. <clears throat> um, you, guys, you guys know where John, John 14 is? I don't see a whole lot of head turning. Maybe you're just watching the screen, I don't know. Uh, John 14, the Gospel of John. So this is written by the disciple that, that Jesus loved. He wrote that himself. He's pretty, pretty humble about that. Uh, but listen, this morning, we're going to be looking at this. So here we go. Chapter 14, verse 1, just the first six verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray for just a second. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Holy Spirit, speak through me and speak to me as you minister to your people. God, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So um, I know that I'm not the only one who has ever experienced this moment. You're, you're downstairs. You know, my, my bedroom was downstairs. So I was downstairs, you know, hanging out. Um, I think I was playing a video game. Uh, Sega Dreamcast. Any Sega Dreamcast people in the room? Nope just me? All right. I'll stand there. Stand there by myself. Uh, let me throw about any Atari people in the room? Atari people? Yeah. All right. There we go. Thanks, Nance. I, yeah, there we go. I see that hand. I see that hand. There we go. So I was downstairs just playing my video game, <coughs> and uh, I came upstairs because all of a sudden it just felt really quiet upstairs, right? Now, mind you, I'm in uh, middle school, I think. So, you know, I'm still learning about Jesus. Um, and I'm upstairs, and all of a sudden I realize there's no one else in the house. And I'm like, this is odd. So I, I pop out my head, because, you know, if they're not inside the house, surely they're outside, right? I pop my head out there. I don't see anyone. There's no one out in my backyard. My front yard's a really busy street, so I know they're not out there. And in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, no. Some of you have said this. I've been left behind. You've been there. I know it. So what's the first thing you do in that moment? You go to the phone, and you call your granny. Because there ain't no way the granny's been left behind. Ain't no way, brother. For me, it was my Nana and Boppy. Uh, they uh, live in a mountain, uh, live on a mountain in Tennessee, 
in this module home is beautiful. Uh, but they, uh, for fun, because they don't get really great signal or internet or anything, they just read the Bible and study it, right? So I know for a fact, brother, if they pick up that phone, there's not been, there's not been any catching away going on. You know what I'm saying? So I call them, and, you know, you, some of you pick up the phone, remember the ring, ring, this ring, ring, sitting there, one ring, come on, pick up, two, come on, Jesus, please, I mean, <laughs> Lord, please don't. Hello? Oh, thank God. <laughs> hey, Bob. Just wanted to call and tell you I love you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that fear of, oh, man, I've been left behind. Um, and, and, and the Bible talks about the rapture. Uh, we're going to look at it a little bit this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and John 14, where we are. Uh, he, there, there's there's, there's the, the, the mentions to the rapture. Um, but let me start here. Jesus opens up this passage of Scripture with, with just this, this compassionate connection to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And leading up to this, just so that we can understand the context of what we're looking at, he, he's kind of mentioned along the way, um, there's, there's plenty of reason for their hearts to be troubled. Jesus tells him in John 13, 33, he says, I, he'd be leaving them, okay? In John 12, he mentions to them that he would be crucified, okay? And then in John 13, again, he says he would, all would forsake him. Now, this is the Messiah, okay? At this point in time, the following them, he's aware, they are aware that this is the Messiah. He has come to reestablish our kingdom, we're going to overthrow these Romans and take back our, our land. We're going, to, we're going to be living the good life here really soon because the Messiah is here. And then they hear, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be leaving you soon. And then he also reveals in chapter 13 that one of them, one of his followers would betray him. He was deeply troubled by that. Jesus told them, and then Jesus told them that where he was going, they could not follow him until later. So their, their mindset has just been shattered. They're thinking, though, um, with, with earthly, earthly eyes. They're, they're, they're thinking with what they already know. They're not, they're not able to conceive and understand that heaven, the Father's place, right? So this is important, though. I don't want to glance over this. You... He says, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You, I, and everyone that God has created in his image has the ability to not let your heart be troubled. This is a command. And with the command comes the capability to obey that command, right? So the heart, it's being used as the deepest recesses of the soul, deeply bothered. He could tell that his disciples, his followers were deeply bothered. In the Kenneth Weiss expanded New Testament translation, it's, it's continued to be agitated is the way that's translated, okay? The, the trouble is agitated. He's saying stop freaking out. Stop stressing out. I don't believe it's a sin to be troubled. Hear me, okay? Jesus was, himself was troubled with the, with the betrayal of Judas. He was troubled in that moment, but we cannot allow our mental distress to become our master. Okay? 
Jesus is saying, stop the current action that is occurring. We all know that anxiety and depression, it's a generational issue, okay? Gen Z, outrageous numbers on that, outrageous stats on that. But here's what I want to encourage you with today. Scripture shows us that we're not helpless. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit to the joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is why it's so important that you, you teach your student and that we teach our stu- the, your students at Pathway Students that scripture is our answer. You don't have to let anxiety run you. You don't have to live in this fearful bubble of the world crashing down on you because we have hope. We have hope. Do you hear me? We can't, we can't be settled and satisfied with what this world offers us. We have something much greater. Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 12, 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Listen to this. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let me say this again. Because he cares for you. See, the key to peace is to replace the anxiety of the present with the certainty of the future. You know, um, my wedding day, how many of you guys remember your wedding day? How many of you ladies remember your wedding day? You got more hands on the ladies' side of things. <laughs> my wedding day, I was getting ready. I'm in the side room with all my guys. And I'm just, is there anyone else who gets just the, you know, you get the butterfly in the stomach. But like, I mean, does anyone ever like, you know, ever get like this giant condor in your stomach? Because that's what it was like. It was just this huge, like, okay, this is really happening. Remain calm. You know, just trying to catch your breath. You know, I had, you know, visited the bathroom a couple times just in this short period of time, just like, Okay, just, yeah, it's okay. It's, everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine. My nerves, man, my nerves got crazy. But then they did the reveal, you know, your first look at the bride, at your bride. And it was almost like as soon as I saw her in her dress, as soon as I saw her in her dress, man, peace. It was like, oh, there she is. It's okay. We're good. Everything's good. she's so smoking hot, man, she's beautiful, you know? So you just have this peace and comfort. And Paul, Paul gives us this reminder in in the letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4, it's on the screen here, Philippians 4, 5 through 7, says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the world of the disciples was about to be shattered. They would be bewildered, confused, 
ridden with anxiety because of the events that, that would soon transpire, anticipating their devastation, anticipating their hearts being troubled, Jesus spoke comfort to them. In the same way, this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking, hear this, let not your heart be troubled. Let your heart not be troubled by current events, by your current events, by the world current events, let not your heart be troubled. Peace. Jesus assured them to hold tight to their faith in him. The disciples could calm their hearts by faith. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is plainly making the claim to his deity as God. In the Greek, the the word believe is translated translated, and here we go, everybody's going to laugh. You ready for this Greek lesson? Here we go, you ready? Pistuo. Say it with me, come on. One, two, three. Pistuo. Yeah, pistuo means to believe. Now, in this, this translation, this, this passage of scripture, it's translated, it could mean either way in both instances, you do believe or believe. You got that? Say that with me. You do believe or believe. Okay, so many scholars believe that it's likely a combination of the two, that Jesus is about to undergo rejection by his own people as the Messiah. The disciples' faith in him as the Messiah and Lord would be cast into extreme doubt by these events, right? I mean, his disciples are thinking he's going to set up an earthly kingdom and establish an earthly reign. What do you mean he's going to die I don't understand this. What do you mean he's going to be crucified and people are going to reject him? I don't understand this. He's the Messiah. We've seen him feed the 5,000. We've seen him raise Lazarus. I mean, dude, you remember that? This guy stunk bad. But he came walking out of the grave. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him, we've seen him open blind eyes. We've seen limbs just extend out of nowhere. He's the Messiah. What do you mean he's going to die? So they're troubled by this. The disciples' faith in the Messiah and the Lord would be cast in extreme doubt by these events. But John, writing with the Holy Spirit, makes it clear that, that not at this time foreseen by the disciples, they, they hadn't seen the movie before. They hadn't seen, they don't have, we've got the privilege of having the end of the book, right? They didn't have that. So Jesus is saying this, that many of the, many of the, the, the scholars believe, Jesus was saying, you believe in God, Believe also in me. Don't lose faith in me because you believe in God. We're the same. We're one and the same, okay? And this brings us to the second point um, that I have. He says, I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. 14.2, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. These verses clearly refer to heaven, right? Father's house, Father's place, it's heaven. Jesus was returning to prepare a place for his followers. His father's house with, with many dwelling places kind of evokes the image of a first century uh, wealthy home with many additions, right? 
a lot of a lot of people think mansions, okay? Unfortunately, mansions is kind of an unfortunate translation. It's 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 a little more translated rooms. Um, so I know some of you are really looking forward to having a mansion with your pond in the front yard and your putting green in the back. I love you. That's probably not happening. Um, but I'm not saying that there's not a pond and that there won't be a putting green because I'm believing for both of those things. Um, so just, you know, believe with me and, and we'll, we'll trust the Lord's got our needs already handled. You know what I'm saying? So God's eternal home, though, has many rooms. Many members of the household of God now on earth will one day transfer to their eternal home with, with Jesus teaching about this, right? Paul reminds us that we're, this is not the destination. This is not the end. We're simply in transit. We're simply on one big subway ride all together. Feels a little different. You know, you, you're probably not going to get mugged, at least, you know, here in Middlebury, you might get mugged in Chicago, but, you know, it's all good. So <laughs> we're, we're currently moving, okay? So 1 Thessalonians, he writes this to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians um, 4, 16 through 18 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul's saying, man, encourage one another that this is not the end, that one day the Lord's going to call us all home. The Lord's going to call us to where we truly belong so that we can operate as he truly created us to operate in worshiping him. Okay, so I know, I know this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive a little bit into eschatology today, so buckle up. There's two stages of the end times. There's the rapture, okay? This is, this is the catching up, bringing us up to him. The words, take you to myself, refer to the rapture, okay? And when all the followers of Jesus will be caught up. So anyone who's passed away at this point, anyone who's buried in the ground, um, they're going to be caught up first, and then we, who are alive, will be called up next, okay? So it's like a 1A, 1B boarding pass, you know what I'm saying? So we're just kind of following him up. You know, this is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, in a twinkling of an eye, together in the clouds to meet Jesus face to face. This will take place suddenly in an unexpected time. Matthew 24, 44 says he is coming when we don't expect it. Just be ready. Just be ready. He says, be ready, because when this happens, it's going to be glorious. But you've got to be ready, because it's going to happen when you're not expecting it. It's going to happen quickly. Scripture calls the church the bride of Christ. You know, in this, this talk about my father's place, there are many rooms. It, it kind, of, kind of calls back first century Jewish weddings. What would happen is a, a groom would uh, be engaged, usually arranged marriage, um, I haven't spoken with Matt and Courtney yet, but, you know, we're, we're having a girl, they're having a boy, so maybe we can work something out there. But, but at that time, there would be, you know, some arranged marriages happening. Um, and the groom would go and be engaged to his, to his bride. And then the groom would leave and go and build, a ho- build like a room 
onto his father's house. And then when the room was ready and prepared and everything was ready to go, he would then saddle up his stallion, get his friends in tow, and there'd be a, a big, huge trumpet blast, and then he'd, he'd take off and go get his bride. But she wouldn't know when that's happening. She wouldn't know what day it's happening. It's a little different than now. You know, now mostly the, the bride's usually telling the groom, hey, you need to be here at this time. You need to make sure you got your tie on, you know. But, but the, the groom would go and get his bride, and they would celebrate, but she didn't know when it was happening. So she would be ready. She would be like, forget the whole, you know, bride suite, getting ready, all your makeup shots, you know, all that action. That didn't happen. She was ready. She was anticipating. She was expecting her groom. Church, we're, we're his bride. We should be at a place of expectation. We should be waiting expectantly. When is he coming back? I can't wait for him to come and get us. I know some of us men have a hard time thinking that we're, you know, wearing a white dress and bride action, but like, we are his bride, church. We're his beloved. So we should be expecting and waiting for him to come and catch us away. And then there's the second coming, okay? So, so the rapture, he's calling us away, and then the second coming. This is after the tribulation. Second coming. Jesus then will come to earth and establish a new kingdom, establish his kingdom here on earth. That's mentioned in Revelation 19. You know the way to where I am going. Jesus spoke, had spoken privately and publicly concerning his, his departure. He had mentioned it a handful of times in John chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 13. The disciples knew where he was going uh, knew where he was going. He had just told them the Father's house was his destination, right? Right? The disciples knew. The word know shows the close relationship of both of these sentences. He was going to the Father's house. And they would follow after him. Jesus was their way to the Father's house, and he was the revelation of the Father, correct? We see that in Scripture. We know that Jesus came to show us what the Father looked like, how the Father would act, right? Right? There we go. He is the nature of God personified in the person of Jesus. This, this brings me to the big part, the big part, the big statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, you know, Thomas gets a bad rap. Doubting Thomas. You know, this guy, you, you think he's just like, maybe doesn't have, full, maybe he's not fully there, you know? Maybe he's like a, you know, first-term Bible school student. I love them, you know, and they're awesome. They're still learning things. I, I know I was learning things when I was that same. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? You know, how many of you guys remember when um, GPSs were like a separate thing from your phone? 
you guys all remember that day, that time and day? I do. Um, I worked at uh, Radio Shack. What's up? Anyone ever been there at Radio Shack now? Yes, sir, I can help you find some capacitors right over here in these drawers. Oh, oh, you need transistors? Here you go. Here. But uh, GPSs were just starting, you know, and you kind of learn things, you know, and they were like really clunky. Turn left, turn left. And sometimes you didn't hear that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, 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 I was supposed to turn back there. Man, I missed that. I really miss that. How many of you guys, though, remember, let's throw it even further back. How many of you guys remember MapQuest? MapQuest? Yeah, funny story. You really got to know, whoever's holding that map, that MapQuest really needed to know how to hold the map. <laughs> because if you held it upside down, there could be some confusion. And you might miss a couple streets and wake up on a ministry school trip in the middle of a cornfield in Delaware, not know what's going on, because someone did not pay attention to the maps. Uh, I may or may not have experienced that myself. So, yeah, so, so Thomas is saying, look, man, we don't have the directions. I don't know where you're going. He's not, he's, he's noted for his skepticism and question, yet the question he asked was 100% in the mind of every one of the disciples. He's not asking, he's saying what everybody else is thinking. You guys know that one person in the room? If you don't know that one person in the room, uh, you probably are that one person, uh, much like me. So he's just simply saying what everybody else is thinking, like, hey, everybody, I can just see it. I can see the scene. You know, he's talking, all of his disciples, I can see Peter like, yes, Lord, yes, 100%. And John, John's like, Got his head on his got his head on his shoulder, like, oh Lord, I just love you so much, man. I love you. You know, I think I think sometimes John Hattie, my my second, um, my my first daughter, she just loves to be loved. <laughs> she, you'll be in the middle of a conversation and she'll just, hey Dad, I love you. I'm like, oh, I love you too, sweetie. I can just see John doing that. And then I can see, you know, Thomas. What? What is this dude saying? I don't understand what he's saying. Why does Peter act like he knows what's going on? That dude has no clue. That dude has no clue what's happening. But he just said, I can just see it. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like us, the disciples tended to, to first think in terms of this world, this time and space. So going must mean physically moving from one place to another. Oh, okay, so you're going to go to Jimmy John's. Okay, I got you. Which one, which one are you going to? Or oh, let me use Subway because we have Subway in this town. Oh, you guys are going to Subway. Okay, so are we going to the one by Spring Valley or the one over there by, by Bamboo Garden? Which one? Okay, all right, we're going to the band. Okay, right on, right on. That, like, Thomas is trying to think, what's, what's, that, what's that address, boss? Wh which, one are we, which one are we going to? Thomas is almost giving Jesus a choice. Tell us where you're going or give us the direction. Either one of those and we can figure out the other. Okay? But Thomas shows us that proximity doesn't equate to understanding. 
Proximity does not always equate to understanding. You can come to church and not be following Jesus. If your life doesn't line up with scripture and you are, as, as John wrote in his first letter, practicing sin, you are not following Jesus, okay? Just because we're in the right environment doesn't always mean that it's being caught, okay? Thomas said what everyone else is thinking, though, and this is the setup. This is the setup. This is like, you know, the, the set, you know, and here comes Jesus with the spike. Can you just see me on the beach, volleyball? No? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, that's an exclusive claim. That's awful exclusive. That's awful, that's awful exclusive, right? I am the way. It's unmistakable. It forces an unconditional response. Jesus invites people. And he's still inviting people today to accept or reject him. He's made it clear that partial acceptance is rejection, okay? There is not a universal Jesus. There is not a universal Jesus. Progressive Christianity and Richard Rohr, they want to teach that, man, a person doesn't have to follow Jesus necessarily or practice tenets of the faith of a formal religion they just need to fall in love with the divine presence under whatever name. That's deception. That is 1,000% deception and absolute apostasy. Under one name can salvation be found. In his name alone, he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he's the only way. He is the only way. The early days of Christianity, followers of Jesus were called followers of the way because those followers Jesus uh, knew that Jesus, that he and he alone was the way out of spiritual darkness, that he was the way the, to the Father, the road that they were to travel. Jesus is the truth. I know that right now it feels like you know, well, that's my truth, so I'm gonna speak my truth. I love you guys, but man, if your truth does not line up with the truth, it is not true at all. You, we cannot, we cannot continue to allow a generation to be raised with a, with a non-biblical worldview. We're, it's a 4%. 4% of Gen Z lives with a biblical worldview. That means their, their dating relationships, their um, thoughts about politics, their thoughts about um, friendships, their thoughts about morality. All, only 4%, only 4% turn to the Bible. Only 4%. That tells you that 96% are operating out of a, world, a cultural worldview. That's an issue. That's like the biggest issue, I think, maybe of this generation. 
It's maybe the biggest issue of the church. It's an issue. Because if we are not, if we're not teaching our children to turn to the word, they're going to turn to the world. That's where they're going to find their thoughts. That's where they're going to form their opinions. That's why parents, grandparents, guardians, please, 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 man, make Bible time a family affair. Even if they're little, man, they may not catch it right now, but they're gonna catch it when you pull out your Bible. They're gonna see you reading your word. Hopefully, hopefully you're living your word too. But don't let the Bible just become like your private thing. Man, live your faith out in public with your family. Live it, live it out on full display, man. Put your Bible on the family dinner table. Have family devotions dinner, man. If that's the one time of the week that everybody's together because you got, you know, soccer and swimming and baseball and football and everything else going on, right on, that's cool. But don't let, don't let the most important thing become the least invested in. Let, let your values dictate your calendar, not your calendar dictate your values. You know, I know a lot of people get up worked up about different companies, different entertainment companies, forcing agendas on young kids. Disney's not trying to take your kid. Practice ball, baseball, soccer, they already, it already took your kid. Like, we got, we got, I'm just challenging you. Really, 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 truly, I love you guys. I love your children. Please, lay out the, lay out the priorities and really check it. Really lay it out. Jesus is the truth, not part of the truth, but the whole truth. Jesus is the truth of all of God's promises as the living word, John 1, 1 through 3. Everything about Jesus and his message is absolute truth. Ultimate truth is revealed through Jesus, 117. And he is the life. He is the life. Eternal life is available only in Jesus. Jesus is the life. He joins his divine life to ours, both now and eternally. Turn with me. You guys probably know the, know the passage, John 316. John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this though. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the all-inclusive. I'm not turning away anybody. I didn't send my son to condemn the world. I came to save you. I sent him to save you. That is salvation is available for whoever believes. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Listen, it is, it is exclusive. He is the only way. He is the only way to eternal life. Those who accept his life and sacrifice for themselves and trusting their lives to his leadership 
making him their Lord. It's really popular to just, you know, make Jesus your co-pilot or Jesus is your homeboy. No, he's my Lord. He, I, don't, I don't do what I want. My life is not my own anymore as a follower of Jesus. My life, I live through him. My life, I find in him. No one comes to the Father by any other doctrine or any other merit or any other intercession than mine. Jesus is saying, Acts 4.12, 4, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by, we, by, by we must, which we must be saved. Logan, Javen. This morning, as much of the I am statements, he's pointing to eternity. He's pointing to eternity. He's saying, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the complete truth. And I am your life.